All right. I think he said that 5 o'clock, right? 5 o'clock. What Jonathan was announcing starts at 5 o'clock if you're interested in that. Also for the Veterans Day program that we were mentioning, just so everybody knows, starts at 9.15. Starts at 9.15. Open to everybody. Breakfast for the veterans is at 8.15. So breakfast at 8.15. Program starts at 9.15. And just so everybody knows here, uh, Pastor Rich, he's going to be speaking there. Uh, Dr. Chris Meyer that also comes out to church, he's going to be speaking there as well. And Richard's going to be sharing some of the stories about uh, Betsy's dad that worships out here with us, a World War II vet, uh, served at the Battle of Petaloo. And also Josh Hathaway uh, from church is going to be out there singing. So if you're interested, that's tomorrow at 9.15 and Breakfast for Vets at 8.15. So I want to make sure everybody knew that as well. All right, Acts. Acts here, chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, you teach, we listen. Just let your spirit guide and direct into all truth. And just go before this, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you for the time to meet here. And as we've prayed, and we just want to reiterate again, to meet here freely and openly, thank you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Acts. We finished our study through the book of Luke last week. Generally out here at church, when we finish one of the gospel accounts, we've gone into the book of Acts. Now, I never wanted to say we're going to do that just because that's what we do. But after finishing the book of Luke and kind of praying about it, it kind of made sense just to continue on in Acts. The Gospels give the account of the life of Christ. So we get a picture of his 33 years of ministry on this earth in the Gospels. The book of Acts is how the church took that information and how they applied it and how they lived it. The book of Acts is taking the Gospel as a church and putting it into motion, putting it into practicality. And I tell you right now, of all the books in the New Testament, the book of Acts is the biggest soap opera of any book. The church is fighting amongst itself. Sin creeps in. I tell you right now, we look back on the book of Acts and we say, oh, 2,000 years ago, if we could have been involved with that. Well, I tell you, you're still involved in the book of Acts. The church is still moving and working, and I still hope the gospel is being presented. But they had problems 2,000 years ago, and we got problems now. And the book of Acts is a practical example of how, as a church, do we function? How do we function with all these different ideas and all these different personalities coming together? Sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. But still, what's most important is the Holy Spirit leading to have the gospel go out. That's what matters more than anything. So, what also is important about going to the book of Acts, especially after going to the book of Luke, Luke, who obviously wrote the book of Luke, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's some times where it becomes a first-person narrative, and that's Luke actually speaking. Luke actually went on some of these missions trips, so it's a neat little picture there. Verses 1 through 3 here of Acts 1 kind of gives us a little bit of a background. Verse 1 of Acts 1 says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, we finished in Luke 24 last week, Jesus having risen from the dead. He had 40 days that he was on this earth after he rose from the dead until he ascended into heaven. So during those 40 days, there was days of ministry, there was days of still teaching, etc. And we have glimpses of that in the book of um, different gospels and also here in the book of Acts a little bit. But real quick... This guy that's mentioned in verse 1, he's also mentioned back at the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Luke wrote these books to him, for him. Now, there's all these different ideas of why. 
And the why doesn't really matter. There's different ideas that if you remember correctly, at the end of Acts, Paul's getting ready to go on trial. Some people believe the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were originally written almost as court documents for those cases. It's possible. This guy could have just been a prominent man that wanted an account of the Gospel to read, to know, and so Luke wrote it down. We don't know the why, and the why doesn't really matter. The what is what matters. And the what of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing the church to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And that is the key thing that you see here. Verse 4 of Acts 1. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The key character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to see that. Because the way the Holy Spirit works, he likes to work behind the scenes. I heard somebody say one time that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Never forces anything on people. But he is the main character in the book of Acts. And what you see here being mentioned in verse 5, the baptism of the Spirit. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. We mentioned that last week a little bit, and we're going to build on that a little bit more. But it's important to realize here, because to fully, truly study the book of Acts, you have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Same thing with your lives today. To truly understand your role as a Christian, you have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. Depending on your background and how you were raised depends a lot on how you view the Holy Spirit, especially the type of church you probably grew up in. If you grew up in maybe a very mainline church, maybe the Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned much. Maybe you grew up in more of a Pentecostal or Assembly's background. So, therefore, you're very familiar with the role of the Holy Spirit. It just kind of depends. I think with any teaching like this, it's important to get what I call the bookends. And the bookends are these two scriptures. In the first one, Paul said, do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. That's the one extreme. Don't quench the Spirit. I know people that as soon as you mention the Holy Spirit, they start fidgeting, they get nervous, and they're like, okay, do we have to talk about this? Yes, I believe He's part of the Trinity. Yes, I believe in Him. I get it. He's God. I understand that. But it makes me nervous. That's do not quench the Spirit. Then there's the other extreme. Where I think where Paul wrote that God is not a God of confusion, but of order. And then you have to be careful about taking the Holy Spirit to too far of extremes. You know, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 14 on how to utilize the Spirit in the church. There's these rules, dare I say, on proper use of where the Holy Spirit leads and ministers. So those are the two extremes. I always think in an example like this, the best thing to do is, let's just see what the Scriptures say. Let's just jump into the Bible and understand the role of who the Holy Spirit is. So, with that being said, what are we talking about here? Well, Jesus told him in verse 4, wait. He says, get together in Jerusalem and wait. He said at the end of Luke 24, wait. We joked last week, it's almost as the parent leaving, telling their kids, don't move until I get back. It's Jesus telling the disciples, don't do anything until you get the Holy Spirit. Just, just wait till the Holy Spirit comes And then go out and start doing stuff. Because Jesus understood the importance of the role of this. So you see him telling the wait. Well, the Holy Spirit does come. Acts chapter 2, which we'll get into in a few weeks. And you start seeing the Holy Spirit come. And Acts chapter 2, it says right here, And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
That's exactly what happened. What is the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out? Well, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 7, they're amazed. They're marveling about this. Verse 12, it says that they're amazed, but it also says they're perplexed. See, isn't that interesting? When you fully understand who the Holy Spirit is, He will amaze you. You will marvel at what He does. But there's also some perplexing, some confusion, some what's going on here. And those are those two extremes that we were talking about. So I think it's important to fully understand here Acts, to fully understand this baptism of the Holy Spirit, fully understand this Acts 1.8. Let's get into who He is and let's talk about Him. Best chapters to talk about the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16. You can't go any better than that. Turn with me, if you will, to John 16. We're going to plant ourselves here in John 16 a little bit. John 16. If you were with us yesterday at the men's Bible study, you know Pastor Rich was doing a teaching here on the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be a lot of similar points, because these chapters in John 14, 15, and 16 do such a wonderful job explaining who He is. John 16... Let's introduce ourselves to who He is because He is the main character in Acts. He may be behind the scenes, but let's understand who He is. Remember our two extremes. We don't want to quench. We want to make sure things are done in order, though. So let's learn who He is and go from there. John 16, verse 7, Jesus speaking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. The Holy Spirit's called the Helper. Now, depending on your translations, some of yours say Advocate, some of yours says Comforter, some of yours says Helper. Those are all three great definitions of who He is and what He does. It's actually interesting. This word here for Advocate, Helper, Comforter, in the original Greek, it's a legal term. It's a legal term. We would almost use in today's language, court-appointed. The Holy Spirit is court-appointed by God to hang out with you forever. Now, it's kind of neat. Now, as he hangs out with you forever, he is going to be your comforter. During times of trials and tribulations and depression and discouragement, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and he will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will also be your helper. When you don't know what to do, how to do, or whatever, the Holy Spirit will help you. That term advocate is actually a term that also, once again, means defense attorney. The Holy Spirit is there in your spiritual relationship with the Lord. That it's the Holy Spirit, advocate, helper, comforter, court appointed by the court of God to be with you forever. That's an amazing thing. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Stay in John 16. Jump down to verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does two things. This is his mission statement, verses 13 and 14. He glorifies Jesus and he declares who Jesus is. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Jesus and to declare who he is must remember the Holy Spirit's role. His role is to always point people towards Christ. That's what He does. Now, I'm not trying to pick on anybody or any ministry or anything, but I have run into ministries who glorify the Holy Spirit. Their ministry is based off the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's mission statement is to point people towards Jesus, not to point people towards Himself. We have to remember that. He is, once again in the book of Acts, Behind the scenes, directing, guiding, empowering, leading. That's what he does. It's the same thing for you and I today. The Holy Spirit lives in us and with us, which we'll get to in a little bit. And then he empowers us to do things. So, the role of the Holy Spirit, 
glorify Jesus, declare who Jesus is, and point people towards him. That's his role. Now, what does he do for you and I? Stay in our Johns here and go to John 14, please. John 14. Holy Spirit does some stuff for us as well. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. If you're taking notes, there's two words here in verse 26. The Holy Spirit teaches, and the Holy Spirit helps you to remember those two things. Now, we've mentioned this earlier here in the last few weeks, so I don't want to make a big point on it. But we've talked a lot about when you get in the Word, and you're praying, and your devotions are coming to church, listening to a message, that there's times that you get in the Word, and you read it, and you walk away, and you say, I got nothing out of it. There's times that you will come and listen to a message, you listen to it, you walk away saying, I got nothing out of it. I understand that. But this is the neat thing about the Holy Spirit. You can go read that devotional, you can go read that passage, you can go listen to that message, get nothing out of it. But the next day you run into somebody and you find yourself repeating what you just read or heard. That's verse 26, the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance those things that you have been taught. I don't expect you to remember every single passage that I speak today or we read today. But as we read it with an open heart and maybe we take some notes, we underline, etc., there comes a time and a place where the Holy Spirit will bring that to your remembrance. I can give you testimony after testimony of me reading something or somebody sending me a verse via email or text. And I may not understand right at that moment why. And I find myself sharing that same passage with somebody for the next week. That's the Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance those things. Now, the Holy Spirit also does the teaching. The Holy Spirit does the teaching. Now, I want to make sure this is abundantly clear, and I'm not saying this as a joke. I've been out here teaching Harvest for 16 years. First started teaching back in 1997, and I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is not some type of, oh, no. No, I know it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does all the teaching. Yes, we are responsible to read. We're responsible to study. I feel there's a responsibility to come up here and take some notes. And if you ever want to come look at my notes, I don't even know what my notes say. It's the Holy Spirit that brings this all together. He does the teaching. He does the teaching. He brings to remembrance. That's his role. My responsibility is to be an open vessel that says, I want to learn. And that's what we do. So he teaches. He brings to remembrance. What else does he do for us? Stay in John. Now go to John 15. John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. says, Now, but when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is also the one that gives you the power and the words to go tell people about Jesus. I'm not capable of combining an intelligent thought to try to explain Jesus to somebody. I can't. Now, the Holy Spirit, He can take care of that. He empowers us to do those things. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Put this all together. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. That is amazing, marveling, amazing, perplexing. He's my advocate, my helper, my comforter. His focus is on Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He declares Jesus. And that's what I want to do. He helps us to learn. He helps us to remember. He helps us to testify. It's all Him. To try to live the Christian life without Him is ridiculous. He's the one that empowers, leads, guides, provides. He does everything. We are just an open vessel that says, Lord, use. Please use us. 
Now, goes one step further. Holy Spirit doesn't even do all those things. The Bible also says in John 14, He lives with you and He lives in you. Think about that for a second. He lives with you and He lives in you. Now, you've all experienced the Holy Spirit living with you. Look here at John 16. John 16, verse 8. It says in John 16, verse 8, When He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. See, even when you weren't saved, the Holy Spirit was still with you, speaking truth to your heart. Now, you may not have known that or understood that at the time, but He was. Do you realize how difficult of a concept that is to convey to somebody? God speaks to you. That sounds kind of strange. When I'm doing devotions with the boys and we're trying to teach them and train them, the subject comes up of praying and listening and letting the Lord lead you. So they ask, what does that mean? So how do you explain to an 8-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 5-year-old what it means to have the Lord speak to you? So this is the best I could come up with. I said, imagine you're in Walmart. And imagine that you see a toy. And you see a toy and you want that toy really bad, but you don't have any money with you. I said, why don't you just steal it? Now, I didn't really encourage them to steal it. I want to make sure that point comes across. Well, they said, well, no. They said, it's wrong. We don't want to get caught, etc. I said, okay, you won't get caught. This is my parenting skills. You won't get caught. No one will see you. No one will know. No one will understand. You can take that toy. You can get out of that store. No one will ever see, know, or understand. You will not get caught. Why don't you do it? Why well, it says, because it's just wrong. How do you know it's wrong? He goes, I don't know, but I just know in my heart it's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit. How do I know to contact that person? I don't know, but in my heart I know I should drop her a call. How do I know that I should contact that person? I don't know, but I just know that he looks like he's struggling and I should ask him how he's doing. That's the Holy Spirit. How do I know when I'm walking down the path to not do things I shouldn't do because the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment? See, here's the thing. We can get away with a lot of stuff. There's going to be a time in your day where no one's around you and you can let any word you want out of your mouth. No one will ever hear it. There's going to be a time in your day where you can go online and look at anything you want and no one will ever see. There's going to be a time in your day where you can think any lewd thought you want and no one would ever know. You can watch any program you want. You can do whatever you want and no one will ever see, know, or understand. Why don't we do that? Because the Holy Spirit is with us, convicting us of sin righteousness and judgment when there's no one around we still have something in us that says don't do those things holy spirit that's the beauty of the holy spirit conviction is one of the greatest things that god has ever given you conviction will keep you from going down a path you shouldn't go conviction is also one of the worst things god has ever given you because when you do something you shouldn't you feel awful that's conviction So the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, when you get born again and saved, the Holy Spirit is now in you. I can't stress this to you enough. God decides to take up residence dwelling in you personally. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. As a born-again believer, if you are here today and you are saved, God has chosen to live within you. That is an amazing thing. It goes back to the conviction thing. That brings me comfort. That brings me peace. That brings me joy. When I'm battling depression and discouragement and defeat, God's with me. But yet when I want to go do something stupid, God's with me. 
Conviction. Lord, I praise you for conviction, but sometimes you want to run away from conviction. Conviction's a beautiful thing, though, because it's God's presence with you telling you, this is right, do this. The Holy Spirit lives with you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, we go one more step. In our study last week in Luke, at the end of Luke, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that same phrase again. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. It says here in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1 that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can be with you, the Holy Spirit can be in you, but then there's the Holy Spirit upon you. Best description of that. If you study out the Old Testament, and we mentioned this last week, so forgive me for the repetition, but when Aaron the high priest was anointed with oil, and the Bible oil represents the Holy Spirit, when we anoint somebody with oil today, we usually take a little oil, we put it on their forehead, what have you. Old Testament, when they anointed Aaron with the, with the oil, it looks like they drenched him in it. The Bible says it dripped off his hair, his beard. They didn't put a little dot on his head. They drenched him in oil. That's the Holy Spirit being upon you. You are drenched. You are covered in the Holy Spirit. I think of what John the Baptist said. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. The Holy Spirit being upon you, the baptism spirit is reaching that point where you stop and you say, I don't want me anymore, Lord. I want it to be all you. All you. I wish James could just disappear and just make me a vessel that is used by the Lord in all ways and all things. I no longer want any of me. I don't want my flesh, my actions, my words to dictate anything. I want the Holy Spirit to be upon me. And as the Holy Spirit is upon me, I want to go out there and live for you. Now, that's part of the beauty of it. Because as the Holy Spirit comes, He empowers you. He empowers you. That's what that Acts 1.8, He gives you power comes from a Greek word, dunamis, which we get our English word, dynamite. Explosive power. There's power in the Holy Spirit and the power of the gifts. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, please? 1 Corinthians 12. See, this goes back to our extremes. We have one extreme that says, don't quench the Spirit. Where people say, I, I just trust He's there. I don't need gifts. I don't need any of that. Well, we got to make sure that we understand those gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, please. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing about this. And look what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Because I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts. Understand them. Understand their role. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Everybody here has a different gift. If we all had the same gift, we would not be a very effective body. Just like a toolbox needs different tools, we need different gifts. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Not everybody here has the same heart and ministry for the same thing. If we did, we couldn't be as effective as we were. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. The enemy uses the different gifts and the different ministries to cause division. Because you may have a ministry and a heart for this. That is your passion. Well, why doesn't everybody else have a ministry and a heart for this? Because that's your gift, that's your ministry, that's your passion. Well, I think everybody should have the same heart and passion that I do for that. We wouldn't be a real effective body. You need different ministries, you need different gifts, and you have to realize the importance of each one. 
Each ministry out here serves a purpose. Each gift out here serves a purpose. Collectively, we become the body of Christ. And what happens is if we only focus on certain ministries or gifts, well, then we're not as effective as we could. Yes, somebody out here will do something, say something a little differently than you would, but it still can be fruitful in the Lord. Verse 6, and there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Different activities. Why would never go to that? Well, but that blesses them. Why would never do that? Yeah, but that takes that family deeper in the Lord. There's different gifts, different ministries, different activities. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I love verse 7, how simple it is, just in the New Living Translation. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. How simple is that? You not, may not feel led to go to that activity for the whoever, but you feel led to clean up after them. Amen. That's different activities, ministries, gifts. The Holy Spirit's coming together. So what are they? Verse 8, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, and another the interpretation of the tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit chooses what gift best suits you to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're getting close to Christmas. So as we get close to Christmas, we get close to Christmas lists. Now, what's the purpose of a Christmas gift and Christmas list? You make the list, you give it to a loved one. They go through that and hopefully pick something that blesses you. I am 36 years old. I don't get to choose my Christmas gifts. I still get socks and underwear because I don't want those. But that's my Christmas gift. I don't get to choose the gift. I remember when I first got saved, I thought I got to choose my gift. I would go to 1 Corinthians 12. I would go to Romans 12. Romans 12 lists the different gifts too. Pastors, teachers, ministries, mercy, etc. Oh boy, which one do I want? I came out of a church that was to the one extreme of quenching the Holy Spirit. And the ideas of the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit wasn't really there. So when I came and I looked at all these gifts, I thought it was my choice. So I looked at all the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and I decided, ooh, tongues. I want tongues. Because why? Tongues. It looked powerful. It's impressive. See, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit knows what's the best gift for each of us to have. If we start focusing on what we want, we want, it's not then about the Spirit. I remember a pastor saying one time at a pastor's conference, he says, anytime someone comes up to him and says they want to be a pastor, he says, I do everything in my power to dissuade them. He goes, if I can dissuade them, they're not called. He goes, if they will still listen to everything I say and still say, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I know it's a difficult calling, but I can't help that that's where the Lord wants me to be. He goes, now I know that person really wants it. If you can talk somebody out of it, they must not be too called to do it. So I remember, I wanted the tongues. See, here's the thing, and Rich made this point yesterday at Bible study, it really hit me. It's easy for us to focus on the sensational. There's nothing wrong with these gifts, they're amazing and wonderful, but we have a tendency in our flesh to focus on the sensational things. What's the Spirit's role? His role is not the sensational, His role is the Savior. That's what you've got to remember. The Holy Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus and declare who Jesus is. Yes, there are sensational miracles that happen through the Spirit, and amen to that. 
But just because those things are happening does not necessarily mean those people are walking with the Lord. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Away from me, I never knew you. And what did the people say? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this in your name? They made a whole list of all the things they did. Jesus said, Sorry, I didn't know you. We've got to remember, it's about the relationship with Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and to declare who Jesus is. So when the Holy Spirit empowers you or leads you or guides you or teaches you or brings to remembrance something that he has said, the whole role is so you can go out there and be a light and a witness for Jesus Christ. See, when you study the book of Acts, the book of Acts is really the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes, proclaiming the gospel through Peter and Paul and Philip and James and Stephen, etc., That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And he's using these different men and women to make sure the gospel comes across clearly. How distracted do we get off that? Let's go back to Acts 1. Verse 5, he tells them, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Verse 6, Lord, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to us? They're completely off track. He says, guys, go to Jerusalem and wait. You're going to get the Spirit. Their focus... When are you going to give the kingdom back to Israel? When's Rome going to get off our back? Verse 7. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. The Holy Spirit keeps us focused. Maybe you've been involved in a church. Maybe you've been involved in a ministry or just you yourself personally. You've gotten your focus off the simplicity of spreading the gospel. And it's got on something else. The Holy Spirit's role in us as individuals and in us as a church is to keep our focus on Christ. I've seen many good men and women do many good things for the Lord, but slowly their focus gets off the simplicity of spreading the gospel. I've seen churches that look very fruitful and active and alive, but their focus have gotten off the simplicity of spreading the gospel. People are dying and going to hell. Let's declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you see in verse 7? Guys, focus. Verse 8, you're going to get power from the Spirit, and then you're going to go be my witnesses for me. Now, we'll get into the whole witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria next week. We don't have time to do that here today. But what happens then is verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, when they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, some people look at this and say, well, why do these angels appear here to do this? Well, the easy answer is verse 11 is to kind of say, hey, it's a little teaching point. Just as Jesus ascended into heaven, he's going to descend, and that's what's going to happen at the second coming. Okay, you know, we get that. I think there's a little bit more. Personal opinion, take it or leave it. Personal opinion. I think in verses 9 through 11... Where it says in verse 10, well, they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up. I think these disciples probably would have just kept staring for a really long time. I think verse 11 is a little what I call a nudge verse. Okay, guys, he's ascended. Let's get to work. Sometimes we need that spiritually. Okay, Jesus has ascended. The grave is empty. You have the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, let's get to work. How long do we sometimes just sit staring at things? Oh, we got to be careful about that. Sometimes I've seen men and women so focused on such a small detail, they lose the big picture. These guys in verse 11, verse 10, they probably would have stood staring for a real long time. They appear, it's time to get to work. And I really think that's the theme of the book of Acts. Okay, guys, it's time to get to work. Jesus has now died on the cross for our sins. He has now risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. 
40 days he was with us. He's now ascended into heaven. Go to Jerusalem. Wait. Holy Spirit will come upon you. Then let's get to work. And that's what you see in the book of Acts, is let's get to work. That's a great point for us today. Bring it all together here. The Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's in you. He can be upon you. He brings to remembrance those things the Lord says. He teaches. He leads you to testify. He is your advocate, your helper, your comforter. He will empower you. He will gift you. He will be with you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will do all those things. Let's get to work now. We have a world out there that needs to know the truth of Jesus. And the book of Acts teaches us how to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to learn as we go through this. Marv, if you can come forward here for the final song. The book of Acts is a wonderful, wonderful study. Practical application of how to live a Christian life in a fallen, dying world. I, I hope you'll be... Remember, there's lots of activities going on.